Hello, everyone. I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction. Today I'm speaking with Janine Atkins, the author of Little Woman in Blue, a novel about May Alcott, the sister of Louisa May Alcott, and the model for Amy, the youngest of the four March girls in Louisa's Little Women. Like Amy, May wants to be a painter. But for a young woman of modest means in mid-19th century Concord, Massachusetts, art is at best a doubtful occupation. Even parents known for their unconventional ideas and their devotion to transcendentalist philosophy expect their daughters to put marriage and motherhood, or at least the needs of their natal family, ahead of personal ambition. The conflict between these sets of expectations, especially as they play out in May's relationship with her older sister Louisa, forms the heart of this novel, as we discover right away. Anna, mentioned in the excerpt that follows, is the oldest of the Alcott girls, Meg March in Little Women. May's nightgown brushed her feet as she and her sister climbed the hill behind their house. They clipped enough pine branches to overflow their baskets. When Louisa started to turn back, May grabbed her arm and said, We need more boughs to hide the cracks in the paint. No one will be looking at the walls. Louisa stepped away. Everyone will see the chip paint and peeling wallpaper and pretend not to. Anna said she wanted to keep her wedding simple. And you believed her? May broke another branch. But the sun was rising and there was a lot to do before guests arrived, so she hurried behind Louisa back to the house. They twisted evergreen branches over windows they'd scrubbed with crumpled newspapers and vinegar. Then May brought lilies of the valley upstairs. She twined the cream-colored flowers through Anna's hair. She fastened buttons on the back of her gray poplin gown, wishing her sister had chosen to wear white, like Princess Victoria, instead of stitching a dress she thought was more suitable for a bride who was turning thirty. May tossed her a soft apple-sized bundle and said, For you. Anna unrolled the silk stockings, which wavered like smoke. Thank you! Well, what an extravagance for something no one will see! You will see them. So will your husband. Anna's face turned pink. May put on her best blue gown and arranged her light hair so it fell in waves between her shoulder blades. She hurried downstairs to help Father carry a table outside. She covered it with a cloth and set out the good green and white china, strategically placing plates over stains. She picked more lilies of the valley and slipped some through a buttonhole, a father's wrinkled linen frock coat. Mother will like that, May added, in case you forgot, her favorite flower. And now, please join me in welcoming Janine Atkins. Hi, Janine. Thank you for agreeing to this interview. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Thank you. Me too. Uh, so as I always do, I'll ask you to start by telling us something about yourself. Uh, you have this wonderful FAQ on your website. Uh, I'll give the address at the end of the interview, which mentions that you started writing a diary when you were a child because writing things down in a diary made them seem more real. What did you mean by that? Well, when you say that, it sounds odd, but um, I think I still write that way, that um, I find that when I write things, I find things I didn't know that I knew. And um, that was that was the same way as, as a child, too. I think some some were uh, imaginary things, and I think my diary probably, um, you know, would not be good in a court of law. There was certainly the, the fantasy element, and, you know, it merged with poetry sometimes, and I didn't care about that kind of lines between fact and fiction. And um, but I think just having something in words gave me um, 
a sense of power over it a little bit. So how did you get from there to writing fiction? <laughs> well, I guess, yeah, I did mention the, those those blurred lines, but I think also what I, I loved about um, fiction is the, um, are, well, are the scenes, the, the details of things. Um, I feel like I loved reading because I found out I knew the characters more than people in my own house or neighborhoods because I got to see the their inner life, and that was satisfying to me as a reader and also as a, a writer. I wanted to um, explore those inner worlds, but not in a um, a way that was like full of psychological chit-chat, and, but to have actual people talking together and um, eating at tables and walking through the woods. I do think that's one of the really wonderful things about fiction, because we have this illusion that we can know other people, which in real life, of course, we never can. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do know, just, you know, it's just like the Jane Austen people who, you know, all have a friend in common or many friends in common. So, so you recite this eight current books and five on the back burner. Uh, quite a few of them are young adults or children's books, but Little Woman in Blue is for adults, uh, although teenagers will like it as well. What are the differences in writing for child versus adult readers? And how do you, does one approach feel more natural to you than the other? Well, I, I began writing for adults. Then when I had a daughter, I started writing for children. And um, they all feel the same in that it's, you know, putting words together and trying to find a structure. And um, so I, I think it's it's different topics, really, um, different subject matters. And um, I, I did connect when my daughter was born to the early reading I loved, which included Little Women and Little House on the Prairie books and biographies of strong girls in particular. And so um, I, I think that gave me inspiration as it had as a girl. That was, you know, a, a focus for what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell stories that I felt I missed as a girl and that would have helped me as a girl. Um, and, and that, you know, I try not to be didactic, I try not to be preachy, but there is a certain, you know, element of these are not, um, not people without flaws, but um, girls who do have a strong element um, to them. So um, that that's a source of inspiration, I think. And um, writing Little Women Blue, moving to the adult world, I would just I just loved May Alcott and I had written a, a book for young readers about um, the Alcotts at Fruitland when Louisa was 12 and May as the youngest was just three and yeah, I got captured by the, by the youngest sister who I felt was you know rather diminished in the autobiographical little woman um, you know that I was reading about other 19th century women artists, and I saw May in that context, and I understood how how hard she had to to fight um, to to get her work onto walls. So um, that that was an interesting story to me, but her story was not really one for children in that it wasn't her childhood that was was so interesting to me, but how how she came to an adult and um, struggled to have her work shown, but also 
unlike Louisa, she wanted to have a family. She wanted romance. She wanted it all, as we sometimes say now. <laughs> That's great. So we'll get back to her in just a second, because I really want to go into the details of that. Okay. Um, but the books that you have on the back burner, does that mean they're, that you're working on them or that you think that you might no, work on them actually, someday? I, I maybe should rephrase it. I think I put I um, um, showed them as, as on the back shelf, and basically I was trying to say they're now out of print. So um, they're books you can find in libraries and sometimes used bookstores, but are no longer um, you know, put forth by the original publisher. So. Oh, okay. So that was my misreading. Okay, good. Well, um, so you're a busy lady. You teach, you write every day. Um, I see you're starting your own publishing company, uh, Stone Door Press. Uh, I won't ask where you find the time, but I will ask you to tell us a bit about She Writes Press, uh, which has published Little Woman in Blue, and what made you decide to start a press of your own? Well, the, um, you know, the press of my own is very little. There's just one book at this point, so I'm not enormously busy there. But um, I, I, um, the way I liked writing a diary as a girl in some ways has moved into writing a blog as an adult. And um, on my blog, I like to write mostly about um, things that I struggle with in writing and things that, um, you know, obsess me as I write. So it's, it's sort of a blog for other writers and people have told me they've been inspired it, by it or feel a certain company in watching what I go through. So after some years of doing that, I said, oh, I, you know, I do feel I have something to say to other writers. So I put together a book called Views from a Window Seat and that's um, a collection of writing going through the seasons and um, taking on the beginning of a book getting through the tough middle where things like to sag and then coming to a conclusion that's still perhaps a little bit open. So, um, I, I, you know, there are a lot of writing books out there, and but I thought, well, this is just a simple book I'd like to have when I give workshops or as a, a teacher I could use. So um, I self-published that, and um, it's just quietly there. <laughs> so when I came to... Um, Little Women in Blue and what led me to She Writes Press is is um, I, I had people I knew in the children's book market, market, but not people I knew in the adult market. And as you mentioned, like this book is one, one for teens, and there's certainly a lot of crossover between books for teens and adults, but in um, the publishing world, those are still separate categories or separate editors. So... Um, you know, I had an agent for a while who who didn't place it, got good comments. Um, and then I saw another book um, called Hysterical, which was about Anna Freud, and it was a fictionalized version of, of her life. And um, that was by She Writes Press. And I looked it up, and it, you know, described itself as somewhat mission-driven, trying to get women's voices into the world, and hybrid, so um, all the authors put up money there, but we have the potential of making more money too. And um, a lot of the work we do ourselves, but it's in um, support from the publisher and, and also support from other authors as well, communicating with each other. So um, I did find, you know, doing views from the window seat, um, you know, I, I got help from my husband as a tech person, um, but a lot of it was me um, making my own mistakes and making my own 
um, little triumphs, but I did like the idea of, of working on something but having a community to support it too. And, and that has been the experience with that. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Well, it does sound very interesting. Speaking of community, uh, I also noticed that you're part of a, a longstanding critique group, which is is my experience too. I mean, I had a wonderful, I have, a, I have a wonderful group that I still work with, um, although ours is a baby compared to yours. So, how did you find these people, and and how does it, um, what has kept you together for so long? It's been almost twenty years, right? I know. No, yeah, I think it's more like twenty five. It's you know, it's. Um, you know, I, I love them so much, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, just like our family, we can kind of take them for granted after, you know, years and years, and, and yet they're so really vital. And um, we really got together, um, you know, <laughs> through a, a call for novelists looking for each other, and um, there were more people to begin with, and, you know, over the years, some people left, you know, for various reasons. They were leaving writing or moving or um, getting distracted by families or work. And um, the four of us really did stay together. And and we did have um, one point about seven years in where things got um, pretty dicey with one member. And um, we, you know, had to ask her to leave. And after that, we said, it's just going to be the four of us. (laughs) We're just going to stick together because, you know, this this wasn't an awful person, but she just didn't work with with the group, and um, so we um, so for the twenty years or so, we've really just stuck with with the four of us, even though it's um, somewhat small. But um, you know, I think we we do feel um, you know somewhat like family. We've seen you know kids grow up over these years, and um, they all write hard and are excellent critiquers. And, um, again, like, you know, a family knowing your history, they know our history, too, of, of what worked and what didn't work. And so we sometimes get to celebrate together, and we certainly complain a lot together. And, you know, that the, that kind of venting is, is also sometimes as essential as, as getting pretty rigorous critiques from each other. That's great. So let's now talk about Little Woman in Blue. Uh, and one of the things that surprised me, um, in preparation, I decided to go back and read Little Woman and the sequels because I hadn't read them since I was about, oh, 12, probably. And so I couldn't remember all of the details. And so uh, I was really surprised to discover from your book that many of the incidents in that series were Louisa's invention, That because uh, it reads like something that she had experienced herself Um where did you uh, follow? What kinds of sources are available on May's life, and and where? How did you discover which parts of it were invention and which parts were made up? Um. Well, you know, there's there's always a a bit of insert uncertainty there, but there are lots of biographies. There were lots of letters. Um, some of the family wrote memoirs. Um, neighbors, including you know the Hawthorns, um, not only Nathaniel and Sophia, but their children wrote memoirs. They lived next door. Um, so there was, you know, this was such a literary town. <laughs> you know, we had we had a lot, you know, to work with. And um, um, often with May, um, it was, um, her, her name wasn't missing, but I knew the scenes, such as, you know, the famous, um, you know, I start out with, with Meg's wedding, um, which was described in Little Women, and there were 
there were echoes in Little Women that were in the diary, too. We know what time it was, what they ate, what make war, and, and those things were were replicated. Um, but we know Louisa did have this brilliant imagination. She did not want to write Little Women. She was asked to do it and sort of begrudgingly did because she thought, it might make some money, which it did. <laughs> and um, But her heart was um, in gothic novels, really. I mean, she loved murder and mayhem and all <laughs> kinds of things that um, she has Joe write in Little Women, and Mr. Bear tells her, this is not literature. <laughs> she, she felt a little bit ashamed of it. But um, I, I think she, um, most, you know, um, followed a lot of things, but I could explore, um, you know, the what what was different from the biographies in Little Woman, and then had to ask myself, well, why why did she change that, and why did she leave that out? So, um, this is a side note, but I was in the library yesterday, and I saw one of her novels, one of the more gothic ones. I think it's uh-huh. been republished by some publisher. I didn't get it because I have a lot on my plate at the moment with the interviews, but. Uh, I was really interested, actually, it's from a modern perspective, at least the parts of it I read, it's a much more modern novel. It's much less moralistic uh, than these novels that she wrote, I guess, for kids. So she put this element in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, she had those, those two sides because, um, you know, she published most of those under a pseudonym. She, she was a little embarrassed, but she had a lot of fun writing them. And I think um, after Little Woman, she did feel that she had gotten a trap, and um, it was a, a money trap in some ways. And um, I think, you know, she even would, you know, say these novels are pretty moralistic, but, you know, the public is eating them up, and she ended up, you know, um, helping her sister May financially and supporting her, her parents and, um her her sister was widowed quite young, and she supported her and her two sons. So she had this big family to support, and um, went went with what was paying. So, what is it for you as a novelist working with these very well documented historical characters? Did you have to create scenes uh, out of your own invention, or or do you follow the historical record as accurately as you can? I really did try to follow the historical record and um, invent what only what wasn't written in some ways. Um, when I when I wrote um, Becoming Little Woman about the Alcott's at Fruitlands, um, my editor at the time said, you know, there, you know, these there are um, librarians and researchers who know every single thing that happened, and we don't want you know the spell of disbelief to be broken or for them to say, you know, well. Why, why did you change this? Why did you change that event? So I really tried to respect everything that was known, and the invention came between um, what was never said or what was May doing during that particular time, which, you know, often isn't said, or taking, you know, little, little bits of scenes and um, trying to see them through May's perspective. Perhaps, you know, for example, we do know that, you know, time in which um, Louisa wrote Little Woman and we've seen drafts and know things um, and we know May was was hearing this and reading it and she illustrated the first edition um, but we don't really know exactly what she thought beyond the fact that she does um, write that she hated Little Women <laughs> and it's, it is 
it's understandable why in some ways. I mean, her depiction is not a flattering one. So, um, so things like that I could fill in. Well, what did she say to her sister about this book um, that, that diminishes her and her art? So this, is, this really brings us, I think, to the heart of, maybe not the heart of the book, but certainly a very important element in the book, which is May's relationship with Louisa. So can you talk about them as individual personalities, at least as they appear in Little Woman in Blue, and then about their relationship, which is, well, like most sisterly relationships, I think, rather mixed. Well, yeah, I knew, you know, because there's more information about Louise, I came into the book through her. I was reading her biographies, and I had grown up admiring her as well. But um, I, I did see, um, you know, and, and many people note there was a, a different Louisa than we see, you know, as Joe March, who, you know, so many of us writers particularly grew up admiring her independence. And, um, you know, Louisa went to... Um, as a nurse in the Civil War and in her her 30s and came back very sick. And after that, she changed in many ways. She was not as healthy and she was not as happy and she was not as, as, you know, independent. I think she felt the the burden of the world upon her shoulders. She had gone into this as a great adventure and wanting um, to do something for abolition and, um, help the nation, um, but, but she was ill, and like many ill people, you know, she'd lost um, some of her spirit, sadly, and um, so there were, there were the two Louises, I think, that way, and um, <laughs> I, I do, there's, there's a line, I know when many people read the book, and they say, well, you know, she is, she is rather grumpy, and <laughs> she is, um, we see more of the older Louisa, um, and um, She's a critical one. I mean, I think also um, part of her her struggle was trying to win her father's admiration and never getting it. Um, so there was a, a certain bitterness about that, too. And with May, um, I did come in with um, also admiring his, her as a young artist, um, reading, reading Little Woman. Um, but as an adult, I realized, that she took her art a lot more seriously. Much of her art's hanging in the Orchard House in Concord, Massachusetts, where Louisa ended up writing Little Woman. I knew she had shown work in the salon. She made Turner copies, very difficult to um, replicate his watercolors, which were sold um, as as we now can buy prints or postcards. At, at the time, people um, actually bought watercolors done by copyists. So um, there was a lot more um, seriousness than I thought um, she was given credit for. But she still had the the light heart. She was um, the youngest child. She saw some of her sister's struggles. And um, she didn't try to win her father's love the way Louisa did. I think she kind of saw that's that's a lost cause. And I'll, I'll, um, you know, go out and and get my sense of love elsewhere. she loved um, food and clothing and things that, you know, conquered at the time, you know, were kind of, you know, let's be transcendentalists. Let's, you know, um, not care about these things. And yet, yet she loved them and um, not in an entirely selfish way. I mean, she loved making dinners for people and dressing up for people and um, making the tables look nice. So um, different values. 
So that actually, this is a question I was going to ask you later, but it fits in really well here. Um, I did get the impression from the book that the parents, uh, both uh, Mrs. Alcott and Mr. Alcott, were less saintly than in Little Women, which they would pretty much have to be if they were going to be really human beings. (laughs) But uh, can you tell us a little bit? I mean, the the idea of Louisa with all of her success... um, looking for her father's love and not finding it. I mean, there's a certain kind of tragedy there. There's a real tragedy there. And um, it, it was made worse that she, her father actually died two days before she died. And um, so she never even got to live a life, you know, with, without wondering about him, but um, he was a enormously complicated man and um, um, sort of hard for most, most women to love, although he has his admirers. Um, he he did have, you know, great goals for abolition. Um, theoretically, he was for women's rights, but it didn't really act out that way very much. Um, very much, um, Louisa talked about a philosopher as being a man in a balloon with, you know, several women needed to, you know, pull him down. And, of course, she and her mother were, were those women often. Um, they were practical. The mother um, worked very hard to make sure the family was fed and couldn't um, even had to, she had to do that somewhat secretly in those days too, that um, she came from a well-to-do family and um, was everyone expected the husband would support her, but but he couldn't hold down a job. He, he taught but infuriated people. Um, he he just, you know, believed in the lilies of the field all coming to us. So um, Abigail, the wife, had to had to be the practical one. And I think she was a little bit resentful about that, which, you know, is certainly very understandable. And um, in Little Woman, we see her, her struggling with her temper and teaching her daughter to deal with her temper. And um, when you read the biography, you're like, you should be angry. <laughs> Throw those pillows. I mean, you're, you know... Um, you know, they they came close to starving, um, and, you know, the father didn't really come to grips with that. So there was there was reason to be angry. And, and of course, also the, um, um, the scolding, the scolding Louisa got, the, the lessons she got, the, um, the, you know, the father telling her that, you know, her, having her temper was wrong, having her ambition was, was wrong. Um, so it is tragic. <laughs> I so think, I may get know. some may get some of that too. I mean, they don't really understand her art. They they want yeah. the, the, their highest goal is for her to get married and have kids, which is uh-huh. yeah, typical of the time. So, yeah, yeah, and I think that's why I think she saw like Louisa, you know, wanting to get that affirmation, and I think she really just. Said, that's not happening and you know didn't didn't really try for it there I mean she you know she did enjoy teaching to an extent because I think her students did adore her and they would wear her hair long the way she did and wear blue the way she did so um, and and young men adored her so she was like okay that that's fine you know I'm I'm not entirely of this family so um, you know they're there was certainly always affection and ties, but I think she she knew um, the art that mattered so much to her and the physical things of the world that mattered a lot to her were always going to be denigrated. 
So um, you mentioned earlier that May wants two things. She, she wants to have a family, and that means not only a husband but a child. And she wants also to be an artist. Uh, probably from the way she's described, she doesn't have illusions that she's going to be a master artist, but she wants to have a career um, as a painter. So set this up for us at the beginning of the book. We, we won't go all the way through, but just at the beginning of the book, let us know what she's doing so that she can meet these ambitions. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not quite sure what the question is. Um, what, what is she doing to show that? Yeah, to, tell us yeah. what's happening oh. at the very beginning oh, okay. of the book so oh, that yeah. we see how, how what, what it is that she wants and how she's going about getting oh, it. Oh, okay. Well, well, it does, you know, it does... Um, start with a wedding that, you know, ends the first half of Little Women, which was originally the first half of the book, that there is a sense of, of course, novels, the, um, the book ends when somebody gets married, and so if I wanted to start a book with that. It's like, well, there's a whole whole new story starting here, and so she's, she's watching um, the wedding, but again, um, her, her older sister was, um, you know, kind of fit in with family values um, in terms of, you know, let's have a simple, humble wedding. And May is talking about, you know, Queen Victoria's wedding gown and the kind of, you know, foods they would have there. And um, when she has a wedding, you know, her mother won't be in the kitchen. Um, so sort of having those those fantasies. And, you know, this is when we meet her and, and she is still 18 and young and, and will develop. But um, I wanted to show her her art artistic eye and how um, it came out in, in setting tables and, you know, finding flowers for her sister's hair and that kind of thing. Um, and and feeling a, a pull towards marriage and a family, but also this other pull where um, she, like Louisa, would, you know, like her name to be known. She would like to show that um, the Alcotts weren't um, just a family who couldn't um, keep a house together, who couldn't um, necessarily find food on the table, and um, was ambitious. And unlike the rest of them, she's quite upfront about her desire to marry someone well off or to live. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah, she's you know that that was again something you know um, that the family. Oh no, you know this is certainly a theme in Little Women. You know you must be content with what you have, but um, she's like, well, why? <laughs> you know, it's like, I would like nice things. And, and she got, you know, um, flack in the family always for that kind of thing. There was a story that was often told in the family of the father going off on lecture tours and coming back with, you know, a single dollar in his pocket after being away for months. And um, Marmy and her mother says, well, all that matters is that you're home. And May's like, actually, you know, it, it's not all that matters. And, and so she's sort of shown as being materialistic, but, um, you know, we all are materialistic in some ways and, um, that is a necessity. So, um, yeah. <laughs> well, again, in that sense, I mean, she's probably, I mean, she may have hated Little Woman, but when I reread it, uh, I, I never thought badly of her uh, portrayal as Amy. And when I reread it, I thought that in some ways she was the most realistic of the group. You know, I mean, uh -huh. she—it's really not a bad portrayal. She, there are yeah. moments when she's she's set up for being um, ostentatious or um, 
Yeah, no, I think, yeah, plenty of girls, including me, we do like her, and partly it is is for um, that realism. I think, you know, the crux of what I see is, as you know, what she found not liking in Little Women was um, having, um, giving up art for marriage. And um, I think she thought that was not something she ever meant to do. And I feel like um, she forestalled marriage because, she was afraid that um, in a day when marriage meant having children soon that she would lose her grip on it and it mattered that much to her that it hurt to be depicted as um, being having the words in her mouth, you know, if if I can't be a genius, I'll be nothing. And I think, um, you know, I'll give up art. And I think what I feel passionately about and what drove me to May is that all of us deserve to create, to make beauty, to have something, and we're not all going to be the experts at it. We're not all going to be Michelangelo, but it doesn't mean, you know, we should put down the paintbrush or the pen. So, Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And, in fact, that's what we see in the beginning of the novel is she goes to Boston to teach and eventually teaches painting. How does that happen? Um. Yeah, she, you know, well, of course, you know, then that was um, probably the best way for women to earn money as teachers. And um, at that time, um, most public schools and even private schools, education stopped for women about 15 or 16. Um, Very, very few would go on to college. So um, sometimes teachers like her would teach music, would teach art. And, you know, of course, it was supposed to be more this is something these women can um, stay busy with until they get married um, and perhaps then teach it to their daughters. So it was um, somewhat as a nicety um, for women. And yet there was also, you know, you feel reading about other women who went to these classes. There was a feminist undertone where, oh, actually we're all women working together and, um, you know, maybe maybe the world is going to change. Maybe we can work for models one day. Maybe art schools will open to us. Maybe one day we'll have um, our paintings not just in our homes, but other people's homes and maybe even museums. So there was a um, an ambitious undercurrent through it. At the same time, uh, you can see from May's story how difficult it was for a woman to be an artist. I mean, she's there teaching in Boston. She's making some success. And then um, she has to go back to Concord uh, to help her mother, and Louisa falls ill, and May is the one who nurses her, and Anna falls ill, and May is the one who looks after the baby. And, you know, I'm assuming that these are real incidents, but it really gives you a sense of even, you know, no matter how, or maybe the better way to put it is it gives you a sense of how committed a woman had to be to keep pushing on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think those resonated w- with me because those are, are still issues today. I mean, they were they were more so than when housekeeping, you know, could be enormous and you had to go out to the well and you had to, you know, wash things on scrub boards, uh, scrub, scrub boards and um, cook things entirely from scratch. Um, but uh, you know, you do you do see that in in May's biography, and um, you know, we're not we don't get all the details of the housework and and caretaking, but um, those are are somewhat easy to imagine, but but we do get a sense of you can kind of see, well, here she was teaching, you know, in Boston, and now she's back in Concord, and there's definitely a record of um, 
you know, when she goes back to Concord, um, she is somewhat depressed. It's, uh, um, you know, she's there to um, take care of somebody or other um, who, and that was, you know, again, the, the single woman's role was taking care of the, the nieces, the nephews, the, the parents, um, the ill sister. So um, there was a continual back and forth. And I think that, of course, you know, slowed her progress as an artist and, you know, often does um, slow the progress of, of women. Um, you know, her she was a teacher of Daniel Chester French, um, who at 18 was... Um, allowed and encouraged by his parents, you know, certainly enormously talented person, but um, once he started doing art, he could just do art, you know, somebody else was cooking for him, cleaning for him, you know, taking care of the family. Um, so that was a big difference. This is the guy who did the Minuteman statue, right? Yes, yes, yeah, and then the Lincoln Monument, yeah, so um, very talented and very wonderful and um, dear to my heart also because he always does did credit in his memoirs, May, as his first teacher. And if you see his house in the, the Berkshires, they have a um, display of the first sculpting tool that May gave to him. So, <laughs> you know, so she, you know, she saw, she saw, you know, his talent and, and encouraged it. And, um, you know, certainly he did have a gift, but there still is um, a, a sense that, um, you know, the trajectory of his art was, different also just because he was was a man and you know the family was was encouraging that in a way that they never experienced yes i mean i think that's even still true now as you mentioned before i mean my husband and i used to say we need a wife (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) so um but nonetheless may presses on uh, no matter how many difficulties are thrown in her way and eventually she publishes a book which was news to me called concord sketches tell us about the book and about uh you know this is where her somewhat tortured relationship with louisa again comes into the story yeah she you know she did like um going out in the woods and she sketched um bridges in the woods and and houses of emerson um of the Hawthorns next door. She sketched Walden Pond and um, the, the bridge where the Minutemen went over. So um, people were interested in that as, as a piece of, of history in some ways that the you know town was, was recognized as, as being literary and important. So um, she did um, get a, a publisher to do this as a sort of coffee table book. And um, this was in the year just after Little Women had been published and Louisa was asked to write a preface. And um, again, I knew this from biographies, but um, when I went to the um, special collections in Concord Library to see the book, I was horrified to see the preface because in it, Louisa says, you know, this is the work of an amateur. It's only of interest because of what is depicted, not because of the art itself. And, um, I, I, you know, I was astounded that they would even publish that because how does that help sell a book? And um, I, I did have to question Louise's, you know, jealousy of her sister. Um, Louisa was independent in so many ways for suffrage and women's rights. And yet um, when it came to her sister, she couldn't seem to celebrate some of her successes. And in fact, in, in this case, seemed to almost deliberately um, stand in her way um, 
So that that was, you know, I think that was a real low point for them both. Um, and yeah, this is where the cat should be out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you missed your oh. cue, buddy. <laughs> I know, I know. So, yeah. So, um where do you think that jealousy comes from? Was it just because May was the youngest sister? I mean, at this point, she hadn't done anything that Louisa hadn't done and done better in some sense. <laughs> yeah, I think there was always um, a certain amount of, of tension in them. And, and it's also, um, you know, probably something, you know, women are instructed in some ways to compete against each other and not entirely celebrate each other. Um, I, I think, um, though... Um, it's you know she she had a hard time seeing that May was grown up. Um, May was eight years younger than her, and Louisa went home to work, uh, left home to work at sixteen, and so May was always the baby. And I think May saw her as coddled. It was hard for her to see her for a long time that she was no longer eight, and that you know the coddling was relative. Um, you know the the sisters did look after May and the sisters did dote on her. And in some ways, um, you know, being the youngest, um, the family didn't have the extremes of, of poverty because by the time May was growing up, um, Mrs. Alcott had decided, you know, she was going to um, work and support the family. And that was that. So um, things were not as, as dire then, I think, when they were, leaning um, too much on Bronson, who wasn't capable of doing that. So I, I think um, somehow, and, and I think she resented the fact, you know, that May did have that um, uh, free spirit, too, which sometimes a, a youngest child can have, of not not entitled, but feeling um, maybe a little entitled, or maybe, you know, um, feeling she didn't have the the moral burdens that Louisa put on herself, the sense that she was never going to be good enough. Um, May um, liked how she looked. Um, She liked who she was. um, She liked what she liked. And Louisa really struggled with with joy in some ways. It was very um, hard for her to um, accept happiness in a a certain way. I think she she probably, you know... um, had some depression and um, which, you know, of course was never really diagnosed. And um, so I, I think kept that, you know, a little bit of resentment, you know, if she would talk about things always come easy to May and, um, you know, in, in some ways, you know, joy did, but May of course um, struggled and Louisa took her a very long time to recognize like what you've said, that this is a woman who worked to, to stay at her art. Um, you know, Louisa seemed to to see it as as something that was easy for her. So one character whom I was glad to see, if a bit surprised, uh, to discover that he had a real-life counterpart, and uh, speaking of people to whom life came easy, at least in Little Women, uh, is Lori, um, who was in real life the son of Nathaniel Hawthorne, who lived next door. Yeah, Lori, you know, um, one of the things that keeps Alcott, you know, uh, I was going to say fanatics, but I should say scholars, I guess, <laughs> and fans, you know, going is is who was Lori. And um, there, he was probably a composite. There's a certain, um, there were, um, Mrs. Alcott took in boarders at a certain point. Um, so there were young boys sometimes living with them that 
was perhaps a model. And Louisa did have a romance when she was in Europe with a Polish revolutionary who's, again, sometimes considered a model, and also um, Julian Hawthorne, um, who lives next door. And um, the Hawthorns were, um, you know, it's, it's not the, the grand house um, that we see in Little Women next door. Um, there's not the astonishing wealth, but um, compared to what the Alcotts had, they did um, think they were wealthy, partly because the Hawthorns had been in Europe where Nathaniel Hawthorne worked as a consulate in England for years and then went to France and Italy. And so they brought back some marble for their um, fireplace. And um, Mrs. Hawthorne was an artist, so she had, you know, sketched scenes in Italy. So um, people in those days were, you know, looked looked to Europe for, for art, more or less, that they didn't see it as coming from America so much. Um, so there was a sense of us and them um, that I think um, Louisa did did show in those two houses, the Lawrence house next door and the, the smaller March house. So what would you like readers to take away from Little Woman in Blue? Are there things that I haven't mentioned even that, that might be important elements of the story? Oh, I think you've mentioned a lot, and I thank you for that. No, I, I think it is, um, you know, I, I still, you know, I spent years and years writing this book, and yet I still adore May. And I, I think it is um, so much of that sense that, you know, whatever our dreams are, that it's it's good to to hold on to them and, and to honor them and not let other people convince us that they're impossible. So you write poetry as well as fiction, I understand. How do you decide which form to use in a given setting? Um, I, you know, I, I have recently been writing more poetry, and I really love just honing things down. And I am a writer who, um, you know, writes 10 pages and ends up with a sentence or that kind of thing. So so poetry is good for that. But um, for Little Women in Blue, I knew it would be about um, the two sisters and intention with each other, helping move forward, then partly setting them back. And um, and there was a lot of room for, for dialogue in that, and it would take place over many years. So I felt it had the the shape of a historic novel. Um, other other times, my last book, which is Borrowed Names and its poems of Laura Ingalls Wilder, Madame C.J. Walker, Marie Curie, and their daughters. Um, so I had three, three women and three daughters, and um, poems were a good way to take motifs from their lives to show what they had in common. All these mothers were born in 1868, um, but from different places and ending up in, in different careers and different personalities. So so the poetry I could, um, you know, without drawing, like, oh, this is how they're different. This is how they're the same. I could just um, pick up themes and let them echo within each other. So I don't know. I think as I get older, I like the, the shorter, the shorter forms. It's really interesting. What are you working on now? Um, I do have um, a book again for um, young readers coming out next year called Finding Wonders, Three Girls Who Changed Science. And that's, um, again, there's um, three, three different girls who at 13 found, found their vocations and the, the themes within them sort of uh, echo each other. So. That sounds great. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for your interest. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I'm C.P. Leslie, 
And today I've been talking with Janine Atkins, author of Little Woman in Blue, a novel of May Alcott. You can find out more about her at www.janineatkins.com. That's one word, J-E-A-N-N-I-N-E-A-T-K-I-N-S. Like us on Facebook, search for New Books in Historical Fiction, and follow us on Twitter at New Books Histfic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can find out more about me and my books at www.cplesley.com, which includes my social media links and connects to my blog. There I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye for now and check back soon for my next conversation about new books in historical fiction.